This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation! Give me a golf course. 70 courses! Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? We're watching. Time for chill vibes. Beach yoga. How about a garden tour? Mount Park. Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Hey, everybody, welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. Join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. We gather a seasoned elder, myself as the middle generation, and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations, prepare to engage or hear perspectives that literally no one else has had. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to Savor, production of iHeartRadio. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we have a classic episode for you about the martini cocktail and yes. glass. <laughs> we did talk a lot about glassware. Yes, yeah. we did. We did. Yeah. This one is from March of 2018. Whoa. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> I have to really parse that in my brain for a second. Okay. Yeah. No, I don't know what that means anymore. It's okay. No. Okay. Well... Was there any reason it was on your mind? No. (laughs) Absolutely not. Or I suppose it perhaps should have been because I very recently did an episode about martini glasses on one of my other shows, Brain Stuff. Mm. And for that, I definitely dipped into our notes here and Mm. added a little bit, a little bit of stuff. Um, but I had forgotten entirely that that even happened because as we have said before on the show, I I jettison all information from my brain the second I'm done recording or like the second I'm done, like writing the title and description out. Um, and then I don't know what I recorded about yesterday. (laughs) I barely know what I'm recording about now. (laughs) (laughs) It's all a mystery and Mm -hmm. martinis don't help. Nope. Uh, nope. They don't. Of, drink responsibly. Yes. Always. <laughs> always. Always. Yes. yes. I am. Um, I don't know if I've told you this, Lauren, but I've had to take a break from horror movies. Oh, my goodness. Um, oh, OK. Because I have watched so many. It was getting out of hand. And oh. for everyone listening, you might be like, Really? Yes. No, I believe Annie when she says that because I I have some inkling of how many horror movies she's been watching, but I feel like that's probably a conservative estimate and that conservative estimate is is um a lot. Yeah. So yes. Um but part of it is I have these like really vivid dreams which are great. 
Okay. You know, the horror part comes in and then you're like scared to sleep and I already have trouble sleeping. So it's kind of an issue. Mm -hmm. But (laughs) I did have one about a kind of martini cocktail situation with no. an eyeball in it, which oh. I know is a thing that I've seen before. It wasn't mm-hmm. an original Annie Brain thing that was happening. Oh, but sure, it, uh, but... The image stuck with me for sure. Um, oh. It was quite... And I was like, where did this come from? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think it might have been because of our, um, our D&D hangout. Uh, I know I've talked about it before, but um, I often like drinks with like gin sure, um, and fruit. And so that usually means I get a coupe glass, a coupe glass. Mm-hmm. And I have a lot of trouble as a clumsy person holding a coupe glass. So I think my like stress around that <laughs> glass translated into D&D and this martini nightmare. Like, I don't know. <laughs> okay. I <laughs> it could have been anything really, but it could have dreams or dreams are wacky. Uh, mm. But but all right. Well, I'm glad to hear that you are taking a perhaps responsible step back from horror films. Um, mm. I I haven't had a, a a regular old martini in a good hot minute. I think like at, at the very beginning or, or like or like in the kind of early beginning of the pandemic, kind of like the first time that I got even like a to-go cocktail from Mm -hmm. a restaurant, I felt like I was finally back in civilization. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, this is what it's like to be a human person. (laughs) Right. Um, I mean, I I also felt the same way eating like a large pile of wings, but... (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Which I ordered the two together, so it was pretty great. (laughs) It was a good afternoon. (laughs) Sounds amazing. 2020 didn't have, to be honest, a lot of great afternoons, but that was one of them. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I mean, those things did become quite special. Mm -hmm. Uh, Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I hear you. Um, Well, (laughs) I guess we should let past Annie and Lauren take it away. Sure. Hello and welcome to Food Stuff. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And this is another cocktail hour. Today, we're talking about the martini. And this is a very special cocktail hour. Oh, yeah. It's the first one where we're actually having a cocktail while we're recording it. So, yeah. cheers, y'all. Cheers. And cheers, Dylan. Uh huh. Cheers. Um, this is my first time having a martini. How are you enjoying it? I actually really like it. It's it's not what I expected. I got it extra dirty, um, which we'll talk about more. But basically, it means olive, a lot of olive, olive brine, yeah. yeah, juice brine, yeah. And I really like it. I, I technically got a vesper. Mm-hmm. I can also mention that in a moment. But yeah, let's let's start this episode off because the martini is a huge cultural icon. Yeah, in America. So let's start off with some uh, some some quotes. Yes, and this is. One of my favorite things about um, the martini, because I, did, I didn't know much about it, to be honest, and um, it inspired so many quotes. There's yeah. so many great quotes in this episode. So here are a few. Historian Bernard DeVoto described the martini as the supreme American gift to world culture. Satirist H.L. Mencken called it 
the only American invention as perfect as the sonnet. <laughs> that is some high, high praise. High praise, right. A 1940s newspaper columnist wrote, more people get their glasses broken and arrested and divorced on account of martinis than for any <laughs> other reason. <laughs> Dang. Could be true. Uh-huh. Um, and here's a poem, a martini poem. Um, by Ogden Nash, no less. Yes. <clears throat> there is something about a martini, a tingle remarkably pleasant, a yellow, a mellow martini. I wish that I had one at present. <laughs> there is something about a martini... <laughs> Ere the dying and dancing begin. And to tell you the truth, it's not the vermouth. I think perhaps it's the gin. Yay! <laughs> Thank you, Lauren. Thank you. <laughs> uh, but here, this brings us to something we should uh, note. Oh, drink responsibly, y'all. Mm-hmm. Especially when your drinks have almost four ounces of liquor in them. Yes. Yes, please be responsible. Don't be breaking any glasses or getting divorces on account of martinis. No, please, please do not. Because it's it's... Partially the vermouth, but it is also definitely partially the gin. Yes. Ogden Nash was correct. Mm-hmm. So, the martini. What is it? What is it? According to a bar I like in Savannah, Georgia, called Gin and Friends, it is just about anything you can imagine with a garnish of Twix. I actually really like oh. that bar, but uh, oh. I think you probably can get a traditional martini. There's over a thousand different martinis, I believe. Maybe Ooh. it's hundreds. I'm probably exaggerating. Uh, pedantic Lauren is like, that's not a martini. <laughs> yes, she, she reacted very viscerally. <laughs> uh, cl- classically, the martini is a very specific thing. It's just gin and dry white vermouth in a roughly six to one ratio, three ounces of gin and about half an ounce of vermouth. You shake or stir this with ice and then strain it into a glass, either with a twist of lemon or an olive for garnish. Mm-hmm. At this most simple iteration, it is a showcase for the gin and the vermouth, and the drink will taste simultaneously sort of clean and, and rich with notes including herbal, piney, floral, and savory. Yep. Would you okay. say that's what you're experiencing right now? I am, and Lauren got to see me I order the martini moments ago, and there was a look of panic on my face when the bartender said, the twist, dirty, olive, and luckily I made the correct non-stupid decision. <laughs> I did not ask for the twist. I asked for olive dirty. Oh, right, which and makes I mean, sense together. Yes, and I mean stupid as in I'm sure the lemon one is, or the twist one is also lovely, but I did not ask for all three. Right. Yes. yes. No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Embarrassment avoided. Uh, Lowell Edmonds wrote about this, this classic martini. It's pleasure, which is not voluptuous, but astringent, can only be expressed by oxymoron, sensuous coldness, opulent dryness, mysterious clarity, alluring purity. I love it because, again, it's one of those things, if you just read that last bit, I would have no idea what you were talking about, Uh but I would want it part of it. Right? Right. (laughs) This cocktail was the favorite of many famous people, from Winston Churchill to FDR, Hemingway, although for him, I feel like every cocktail was his favorite, (laughs) depending on when you ask. Mm Mm-hmm. Whatever cocktail was in his hand. Uh, Hemingway used a martini as an insult in Across the River and Into the Trees when one character orders Montgomery's 15 to 1. In other words, 15 parts gin to one part vermouth. Yeah. The order was meant as a dig at Commander Montgomery, who allegedly would not go into a battle without a 15 to 1 soldier advantage. The small amount of vermouth was meant to symbolize his small amount of courage. 
Um, I should keep that in mind. If I ever want to insult somebody, you can insult someone with a cocktail. (laughs) Perfect. Yes. (laughs) I already have like a vague plan for a revenge bakery. We'll revisit that in another episode. Um, According to some sources, FDR would host a daily martini hour in which he made martinis that were too heavy on the vermouth. Like two to one gin to vermouth, Mm -hmm. which is a way that some people drink them, but it's certainly heavier than the the norm. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, FDR apparently drank them in this way, and the White House counsel was not a fan of this preparation method, and one would hope surreptitiously uh, pour it into the potted plant. Ah. Yes. Um, Then again, when FDR served it up to Stalin in 1943, uh, Stalin was a first-time martini drinker, Khrushchev declared the drink as America's lethal weapon. Ah. Wow. One of Julia Child's favorite drinks was the reverse martini. That's five to one vermouth to gin. <laughs> the reverse martini. Mm-hmm. And people love getting up in arms about that vermouth to liquor ratio. Supposedly, Churchill said about it, I would like to observe the vermouth from across the room while I drink my martini. <laughs> or that one should glance at the vermouth bottle briefly while pouring the juniper distillate freely. Well, he was British. Or possibly that you should drink ice-cold gin while bowing in the general direction of France, or that you should hold the vermouth bottle over the shaker and just let light shine through it. Oh, Churchill. (laughs) Uh, That first quote, uh, looking across the room at the vermouth, has also been attributed to Alfred Hitchcock. Some folks just do a vermouth rinse instead of adding it to the shaker, like you toss a quarter ounce or so of vermouth into the cocktail glass, twirl, and then pour it out before straining in your your ice-shaken or stirred gin. And supposedly Lyndon B. Johnson preferred this version. Mm-hmm. But hey, y'all, what the heck is vermouth? I had no idea until it, we did this. <laughs> it's uh, Vermouth is a wine that has been infused with various botanicals, uh, specifically wormwood, also probably including saffron, coriander, chamomile, and or juniper and then fortified with a little bit of a neutral spirit like unaged brandy. And the dry white version was created in France around 1800. This is a definitely whole episode kind of territory. That's a very brief uh, yeah. definition. Is, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And while we're defining things, gin is a neutral spirit that is also infused with infused with botanicals, including juniper and a whole mess of other herbs and spices. We talked about it in our gin and tonic episode and also visited a local distillery and, like, made a video and a batch of gin. Yeah. About it. So so go go check those out if you would like to learn more about gin. Some folks do use vodka instead of gin to make martinis. Yes. You can also add in a bit of olive brine for that dirty martini Mm -hmm. or a drop or two of bitters, specifically orange bitters. My bartender slash chef friend Daryl makes a version with a few drops of olive oil floated on top instead of an olive garnish. And if you add a cocktail onion instead of an olive, it's a Gibson. Oh. If you use both vodka and gin, uh, add the vermouth and then have a lemon twist, that's a Vesper. Yeah. Which is what I'm drinking right now. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, and that teeny suffix. Oh, yeah, there's, there's billions of martinis that you can order at places. Yeah, you, you may have noticed this before. You can get a lot of drinks that end in teeny. Uh, apple teeny is the first one that comes to my mind because of the, that Scrubs quote, apple teeny, please, easy on the teeny. <laughs> <laughs> um, and this has nothing really to do with the martini, the drink, and all to do with the V-shaped martini glass. Oh, yeah, which I'm going to get into in a minute. Yes, Um And I also read Sex in the City helped inspire 
a lot of teeny drinks. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. They were drinking Cosmos out of the martini glass. It became uh, a whole thing. Okay. Okay. So that's the basics. But let's talk about some history. Yeah, this is one of those great ones. But first, let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressings, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Mother's Day is right around the corner, and in true She Pivots fashion, we're highlighting moms who've dedicated their lives and their pivots to supporting mothers. The iconic Christy Turlington will join us to talk about launching Every Mother Counts after pivoting from her 90s supermodel days. And later, the co-CEOs of Baby to Baby will share how they're addressing the needs for millions of babies and moms. So tune in and subscribe to She Pivots. New episodes out every Wednesday. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes. Okay. Martini history. Yeah. Since 1882, the combination of gin and vermouth has gone by the martini, the martina, the martine, the martini, <laughs> the martineau, and the martinez. And these early versions were sweeter, more like Manhattans that were just made with gin instead of whiskey. So therefore including bitters and sugar syrup and curacao. Though by the turn of the 20th century... The uh, latter two ingredients, the sugar syrup and curacao, had fallen by the wayside. And if anything was to be added to that requisite gin and vermouth, it would be bitters and orange bitters to kind of make up for that curacao's absence. Right. And as these names might indicate, multiple origin stories exist. Oh, it wouldn't be a cocktail hour without. It wouldn't. It very much reminds me of the margarita. I love how it's just, I, we need a name and that's who invented it. Perfect. There you go. <laughs> End of episode. It's possible that more than one person 
invented the same drink around the same time. A story published in the New York Times in 1904 claimed the drink was the brainchild of a local judiciary named Randolph Martin. But those who knew him well didn't seem to agree. Champagne was his alcohol of choice, and apparently he rarely strayed from it. Uh-huh. So his friends were like, nope. Uh-huh. In 1884, New York Cocktail Guide included a recipe for a Martinez. And because of this, in the 1940s, people started theorizing that maybe the drink came from Martinez, California. Uh-huh. This one gets really muddy. But as the story goes, a gold miner looking to celebrate his findings ordered the drink special. But whatever was the drink special, the bartender did not have. So he whipped up something based on what he did have, which happened to be gin, vermouth, and a few extra things. The bartender, the bartender, (laughs) called it a Martinez after the town. This is the official story on the Martinez website, although I read many alternate versions, including one where the, um, the miner... He was actually celebrating. He wasn't celebrating at all. He, he was out of money. <laughs> Couldn't oh. find gold. Was miserable. So it's like to fix me whatever you've got. Yes, yes. So take it with a grain of salt. There's a vermouth martini pun in there, but I can't make it right now. It's okay. It's okay. San Francisco also lays claim to the martini, as does New York City. In 1863. An Italian vermouth company was marketing one of its products as a martini. Um, You might recognize it. Martini and Rossi vermouth. Oh, yeah. Still a very large player in the field. Yeah. Another story goes that um, after France left Syria in 1946, a Syrian man with the last name Martini relocated to Paris and opened a bar. At the time, martinis, if not in name, uh, the drink did already exist, but martini, the person's contribution was the addition of an olive as sort of an homage to his home country where olives are a big product. Ah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Thrillist even compiled a neat, almost conspiracy level, they're all connected timeline. Ah. It begins with a bartender <laughs> named Martini Diarma Ditagia making a martini at the Knickerbocker Hotel in New York for one John D. Rockefeller. Okay. Mm-hmm. Who then, in turn, um, made it for his buddies on Wall Street. But then Rockefeller's son, John Jr., helped to make Prohibition happen. Oh. But then Prohibition was a <laughs> failure, and he was instrumental in reversing it. And then he supervised the opening of a place that ended up serving a lot of martinis, the Rainbow Room. And eventually, uh, the Rainbow Room was the scene of the martinis revival in the 1980s. Wow. Yeah. That's intense. It is, right? If it's true, that's very intense. But it, who knows? Not us. At any rate, up through Prohibition, you know, for the first four decades or so of the martini's history, the drink was not served in the martini glass because it hadn't been invented yet. Makes sense. There you go. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably the rounder, slightly more forgiving champagne coupe would have been used as it was for many drinks served up at the time, uh, up as opposed to on the rocks. Right. Yeah. Uh, in the 20s, though, at the height of Art Deco, someone somewhere made that coupe angular, you know, a cone rather than a semisphere. It may have made its official debut at the 1925 Paris Exhibition. By the 1930s, this glass design was firmly associated with the martini cocktail, you know, a clean design for a clean drink. 
And meanwhile, Prohibition had made gin America's darling liquor, as it was much easier to dupe than whiskey, which gets its flavor from aging. Right. Just kind of pour juniper oil into some booze base, and you're like, oh, it's sort of like gin. Bathtub gin. An article from American Heritage magazine suggests that the martini's simplicity and its glasses design made it a symbol of the modern American urbanite, a and I quote, defiant retort to Bible Belt intolerance and Victorian repression. That is quite a lot to put on a glass. That's heavy, right? Yeah, for, yeah, for a glass and a cocktail. Yeah. By the 1940s and 50s, with the rise of mid-century modern design, the lip of that martini glass would grow wider and the stem longer. And through industrialization, this glassware became available for home use for the growing middle class. So the martini and its glass and partially through the enthusiasm of folks like FDR, became symbols of of power and modernity. A New York Times article in 1958 called it the symbol of our civilization. Wow. And if you're familiar with the Dave Brubeck Quartet, saxophonist Paul Desmond would later say that in developing their sound, quote, I think I had it in the back of my mind that I wanted to sound like a dry martini. (laughs) Wow. Uh, yeah, I have to say that I didn't know much about martinis, but I did always have that association with the glass as it being kind of this rich city. Thing. Yeah, yeah, wealthy. Yeah. Urbane. Yeah, the, and which is fascinating because I didn't know much about it, but that still that got cultural me, that thing message. was in you. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. yeah. Vodka started really gaining popularity in the 50s. At the beginning of the decade, about 500,000 cases were sold. But by 1955, that number skyrocketed to 5 million cases. It passed gin in terms of sales numbers in the U.S. in 1967 and whiskey in 1976. The first vodka martinis went by the name Kangaroo Cocktail. But by 1951, with the publication of this really posh, like, cocktails and nude photos cocktail guide called Bottoms Up, And Andy just did the biggest eye roll. Uh, uh, The kangaroo cocktail was sort of officially, unofficially rebranded the vodka martini. Right. And James Bond was instrumental in the popularity of the vodka martini. The first time it appeared in the James Bond universe was in the 1956 Diamonds Are Forever. The film, not the book. Okay, yes. His first instruction of shaken, not stirred, I used to have a really good Sean Connery impression, but I don't anymore. Oh, no. Actually, I probably never did, but I thought <laughs> I did. Anyway, whatever the case, um, came two years later in the 1958 Dr. No. And by the 1970s, vodka martinis had begun to outsell gin martinis, kind of parallel with vodka to gin sales in general. Mm-hmm. And this brings us to martini politics. Martini politics. I know. Um <laughs> the three martini lunch and class warfare. Oh yeah, this is this is actually huge and kind of very serious. It really is. Um, during the 1950s and 60s, the Mad Men era, executives and businessmen took part in this thing called the three martini lunch, which is what it sounds like. The working class did not like this, and the three martini lunch was it was a tax write off, and the deductions. It was seen as deductions for the rich. President John F. Kennedy took the first real political swipe at the three-martini lunch in the 60s. 
But the real fighting got started in 1972 with George McGovern. He said, There is something fundamentally wrong with the tax system when it allows a corporate executive to deduct his $20 martini lunch while a working man cannot deduct the price of his bologna sandwich. Jimmy Carter took up the mantle in 1976, decrying the fact that the American working class was having to pay for the three-martini lunch, to which his opponent for the 1976 presidential election replied, much later, um, the three-martini lunch is the epitome of American efficiency. Where else can you get an earful, a bellyful, and a snootful at the same time? <laughs> mm-hmm. Popular culture was swaying towards Carter's interpretation, though. An article in Esquire in 1973 called the martini a bitter, medicinal-tasting beverage that represented everything from phony bourgeois values and social snobbery to jaded alcoholism and latent masochism. Wow. Uh, And it was actually President Reagan that mostly did away with the three-martini lunch in 1986. And then President Clinton put the final nail— in that coffin. And um, the detractors mockingly called it the two martini lunches. Like, you can't handle your alcohol. You're getting sloppy. You couldn't take three martinis. The three martinis. Yeah. Oh, weird, weird. I'm like, sick burn? Yeah. A lot of question marks behind it. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, by then... Uh, the 1980s bizarre, be sour mixed cocktail culture was in full swing. And everything about drinking was bigger and sweeter and more mass-produced. And amidst all this, the martini glass had not lost its its feel of sleek sophistication. So the glass just got bigger. And everything got served in it, especially these sweet, fruity drinks that were meant to appeal to women with their shoulder pads as big as their ambitions. See, ladies, you really can have it all. (sighs) This association (laughs) would stick through the next couple decades. Uh, Think of that Cosmo from Sex and the City, with many bars' martini menus not including a whiff of the actual martini cocktail until the craft cocktail movement of the 20-teens brought it back. Yeah. And this, I didn't know about any of this, but I did see a... um, there's a restaurant. It might be in Savannah, but it has a three martini lunch on it. And I thought it was just a weird, like, like some, yeah, yeah, like a gimmick, yeah, from that restaurant. And when I was reading this, we're like, oh, realization was just dawning on my face. Oh yeah, yeah. There, there's an episode of Bad Men where the multiple martini lunch plays a very big factor and ends poorly for everyone involved, as I imagine it would. <laughs> as I imagine it would. And that brings us to now. And to some science. Yes, but first, a quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Mother's Day is right around the corner, and in true She Pivots fashion, we're highlighting moms who've dedicated their lives and their pivots to supporting mothers. 
the iconic Christy Turlington will join us to talk about launching Every Mother Counts after pivoting from her 90s supermodel days. And later, the co-CEOs of Baby to Baby will share how they're addressing the needs for millions of babies and moms. So tune in and subscribe to She Pivots. New episodes out every Wednesday. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. So this is our this is our kind of science and ephemera section because I have I have a few important notes. Not all of them are purely scientific. But, okay, first one, important note about vermouth. Okay. Although being fortified, an open bottle of vermouth will last longer than an open bottle of regular wine. Uh, due to that fortification, it will still go off after a couple of months. Don't so, want that. Yeah. So, you know, don't don't just keep a half-used bottle of vermouth sitting on your bar. At the very least, keep your opened bottle in the fridge for extra staying power and and use it within, like, three to four months. It's really great for cooking as well as in cocktails or even by itself on the rocks if you get a good enough one. So I promise it's not at all difficult to go through. Use it up. It'll be delicious. Deglaze all of your pans with it. (laughs) You'll thank me later. Uh, I do have a slight killjoy corner for you today. Mm. The witty and slightly blue quatrain about martinis that is often attributed to Dorothy Parker was almost certainly not said or written by Dorothy Parker. Uh. The quatrain goes, I like to have a martini, two at the very most. After three, I'm under the table. After four, I'm under my host. Ooh. Which I think really has to be said in that, in that uh, transatlantic I, accent. I believe so. Dorothy Parker had grown so famous for quips that misattribution is pretty common. And this appears, this quatrain appears to have originated in the University of... Virginia's undergrad humor magazine, The Harlequin, not from Parker. Hmm. Although that's no reason to to love her or martinis or responsible drinking any less. For the record, uh, Dorothy Parker preferred scotch. Scotch is lovely. It is. Mm -hmm. Good to know. Also, one last bit of ephemera. I read this article in Imbibe magazine. It was written by one Wayne Curtis. He was writing about the martini glass and... It contains such a sick burn that I wanted to share it. 
The martini glass is one of those objects appealing in concept but disappointing in reality, member of a category that includes cotton candy and the films of Adam Sandler. Oh, Ah, that's pretty harsh. I laughed out loud in my house and, like, startled my cats. So, yeah, wanted to share it. I happen also to agree on all counts. Um, yeah. Th- then again, I'm the guy who drinks everything out of jam jars because yeah. I cannot be trusted with stemware. I'm the same, uh, although I have broken several stemless glasses as well. So clearly <laughs> I'm just <laughs> Stick to mess. plastics. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There you go. How classy. Everything in a solo cup. That's me. <laughs> This brings us to a question that I've wondered about, Ooh, Lauren. Yeah. Uh, shaken or stirred? Oh, okay. This is today's science portion. And and there is science to shaken versus stirred. Because, okay, the purpose of shaking a cocktail with ice is A, to chill the drink, and B, to to mix in lighter ingredients like your, your your gin, your vodka, your whiskey, with things that are less easily mixed, like heavy sweet liqueurs or simple syrup or stuff like eggs. If all your ingredients are lighter, as with a martini, which is just fortified wine and gin, shaking is unnecessary at best. Mm. Furthermore, shaking a cocktail with ice in a shaker will chip little bits of ice into the drink, which melt down quickly, which water the drink down, and also adds in tiny little air bubbles. And this might well be what you're going for with some cocktails, but bartenders will tell you that with a martini, it can ruin the silky mouthfeel that you're looking for from the liquor. Stirring with ice, on the other hand, chills the drink a little bit less than you get with shaking, but it does so without agitating the ingredients so much and does not chip the ice, so less water gets into your cocktail. According to MIT research scientist Shannon Stewart, the air that you expose the ingredients to during shaking can ruin some of the best scent notes of gin, the uh, the volatile alcohols that make juniper and coriander taste and smell crisp. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Yeah. Those are top notes. So they'll start to dissipate during shaking, which can leave your drink tasting and smelling a little bit dull. Therefore, the best way to mix a gin martini is definitely by stirring. Okay. Vodka martinis are probably okay either way. They don't they don't have those botanicals, so you're not dealing with a loss of top notes the way you, the way that you would with gin. Though if you are using a really good vermouth, you might want to stir stir your vodka martini too. Okay. Yeah. Good to know. Serving your martinis in glassware straight from the freezer will help offset the coldness lost by stirring instead of shaking. Yeah. So that's recommended either way. Yes. Originally, Lauren, (laughs) she had quite the plan for our martini testing during this episode. She wanted to get some martini glasses. Put them in the freezer, then go obtain our martini cocktails. Yes. Bring them back, put them in the chilled glasses. I was very impressed, Lauren. We we happen to work in a building that has a, a lovely food court downstairs, including a few restaurants that will allow you to take away your cocktails yes, in a plastic cup as long as you're not leaving the building, mm-hmm. which is what we've done. We have. Thank you, the Mercury. Yes, thank you. They actually have helped us out on several occasions. They so. certainly have. Yeah, they're, they're lovely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's our martini episode. And yeah. um, I hope you enjoyed learning about it as much as I did because I, like I said, I didn't know much about it and I was very surprised. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> I knew a little bit about it. Like I, I knew enough, like I have opinions, one mm-hmm. of those pedantic Lauren things. And I, and I don't have a killjoy corner level of alliteration phrase to attach to this, but I'm working towards it. Yeah. Because I have so many pedantic opinions. And yes, I, a vodka martini is not a martini. A martini is gin and vermouth. We will come up with a title for this, Lauren. I believe in us. But, but that's okay. Yes. <laughs> if, you, if you like vodka martinis, go for it. Oh, sure. It's not a martini. And that brings us to the end of this classic episode. We hope that you enjoyed it uh, as much as we enjoyed replaying it. Yes, yes. Um, and, and I will say as, as a very short martini update that, that we humans continue to, to innovate in the martini field. Um, I, I was doing my due diligence like Google search before this classic and uh, apparently very popular right now are things including... A Parmesan espresso martini. Okay. I have I've not seen whatever viral media post has led to this, <laughs> but um, but apparently espresso martinis are popular, and specifically one that puts Parmesan in it. Um, also, Stanley Tucci making martinis, which I fully endorse. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, one thousand percent all the time. Um, also, the freezer martini, which is when like you mix a martini with no ice. And then to chill it, you store it in a bottle in the freezer and then just pour it into a glass when you're ready to drink. Okay. Um, and furthermore, the spicy martini, which vinepair.com reports, and I quote, is your daddy now. <laughs> oh, no. So, yeah, I don't know. But... <laughs> That made me laugh before when I read it. It's making me laugh now. Um, yeah, that's why I included it in this in this note. I was like, well, I'm not entirely sure what that means. I don't think I'm going to click the link to find out, but here we are. <laughs> it's Pedro Pascal and cocktail. <laughs> you know, Pedro Pascal was the first thing that I thought of as well. <laughs> So I'm glad that we're both. See, this is apparently the kind of viral media that we're consuming. It's just nothing but Pedro Pascal all the time. Um, Like, not on the espresso martini end. Right. Right. Which is an interesting thing for a food podcast. I think that's what sets us apart. Oh, Um, yeah. 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 That's that niche that we fill. Yes. (laughs) It's our... Here's your horror movie update about the martini and also Pedro Pascal, who's been in a lot of horror recently. (laughs) You know, um, that's just where we are. Just makes sense. Just makes sense in our own special brand of sense. But yes. It does. does. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Well... Also, just a quick note. One of the reasons we're having a classic right now is we're going on a trip. Uh, so perhaps we'll get a martini of Ooh. some kind on our trip. Yeah, I, I would, yeah, I, we're, full disclosure, we're going on a trip to Vegas. Yeah. So, so we're, we're going to have some episodes coming out about yeah. that sometime in the future. Um, yeah. and, uh, hopefully we're, we're going to be interviewing some rad people and, and hopefully it's going to be a fun, a fun time for everyone. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I would ask. I mean, you know what? I think we're going 
I mean, potentially multiple times for yeah. this work thing. So if yeah. you have any recommendations, I think by the time this episode comes out, we'll be back. It's a short trip. Um, yeah. But, <laughs> but for in next future, time. <laughs> yes. Yes. Send those recommendations our way. Um, but all right. Uh, in the meantime, if you would like to send us those recommendations, you can. We would love to hear from you. Our email is hello at saverpod.com. We're also on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at SaverPod. And yes, we do hope to hear from you. Saver is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thanks, as always, to our super producers, Dylan Fagan and Andrew Howard. Thanks to you for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. Join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. We gather a seasoned elder, myself as the middle generation, and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations, prepare to engage or hear perspectives that literally no one else has had. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.